Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host, Dave Adcock. Before we get on to this episode's conversation, our December episode will be with Peterborough Green Party leader Nicola Day. So if you have any questions that you'd like us to put to her, then send a tweet using the hashtag politicspeterborough or send us an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. Our January episode will be with ARU Peterborough Principal Ross Renton. However, once this episode has been released, we'll already have spoken to him, so it'll be too late to send any questions in for him. If you want to be the first to know who we'll be having on future episodes, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PoliticsPBORO. On with the show. Our guest for this episode has been in and around politics for most of his adult life. He joined the Conservative Party aged 16 and has now been a member for over 25 years. He grew up in Whittlesea, having moved there at an early age. From 2006 to 2010, he was a councillor on Hammersmith and Fulham Council, before standing unsuccessfully for the Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland seat at the 2010 election. For the next nine years, he ran his own public relations company before standing and being elected as the MP for Peterborough in December 2019. Paul Bristow, welcome to the politics of Peterborough. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, in your recent Telegraph opinion piece, you stated that conservatism was and is a hard sell. What was it about politics and conservatism in particular that, that drew you in as a teenager? Well, what I said, I think it was a hard sell to, to young people. There was infinitely more interesting things for young people to be concerned about than politics. And um, But what I always try to do, especially when I go around to schools and I ask uh, young people uh, if they're interested in politics, relatively few people put their hands up and say yes. But if I ask them, are they interested in climate change? Are they interested in public services? Are they interested in racism? Are they interested in an uh, end to racism? They, of course, they all say yes. And I say, well, there we go. That's politics. So it's a challenge. And that's what we've got to, to try and ensure people understand that politics is and current affairs are interesting, is for them. Uh, and hopefully we get more young people interested in politics. So what was it that drove you into it? Well, I had a history teacher when I was at school in Whittlesea, um, Sir Harry Smith. Uh, his name is Mr Carter, and I really should go and see him, to be honest. But he really did invest in me a real interest in history uh, and current affairs. And he was a, an inspiring teacher. He was an old, he was an old socialist, definitely a lefty. Uh, but um, he did get me very much interested in politics. And uh, from there, yeah, here I am. I joined the Peterborough Conservatives, where the building we're sat in right now. I joined the um, Peterborough Conservative Association and I've really never looked back. I mean, I've gone through varying degrees of how involved I've been. Um, at university, there were obviously infinitely more interesting things to do a lot of the time. Uh, but um, when I left university, I had a choice. I had two job offers. One was to be a Club 1830 rep. The other was to go and work for the Conservative Party. I'll leave your listeners to decide which one I chose. Now, in 2019, you were successful in being elected as the Peterborough MP at the second attempt. Within three months, the city was, along with the rest of the country, in lockdown. Your time as an MP so far can't have been what you were expecting or perhaps hoped for. Well, lots of people come up to me and tell me that uh, I'm an MP in extraordinary times. Certainly lots of colleagues in the House of Commons go, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, so interesting to be an MP in, in during this time. Well, to be honest with you, I'm a bit of fed up of extraordinary. I want a bit of ordinary. But uh, look, you know, this is the best job I'm ever going to have. It's obviously got its, like any job, it's got its pluses, it's got its negatives. But being the MP for your, your home city, it's just an enormous privilege. And whether it lasts another two years or 22 years, it'll always be the best job I'll ever have. Do you think if, if in two years it does come to an end, you'll look to, to get back into it at a, a later date? 
Well, I will be standing as the Conservative candidate for Peterborough as long as the Peterborough Conservatives have me. If it ends in two years, then um, I will certainly try again. Um, and for, but for me, this, this, as I say, I want to be the MP for this city, my city, and I've loved every second of it. I mean, what I will say is this. I thought I knew Peterborough at the back of my hand, you know, almost slightly arrogantly, perhaps, because, you know, obviously I grew up here and uh, had my formative years here. And I thought I knew the city incredibly well. But through this job, you meet so many different people because it turns out what I did actually know was um, the only thing I did know is was my experience. I knew, you know, where I went to school, where, you know, my family lived, where uh, my friends lived in the city, you know, where I worked, what jobs I, I had, my friends, my experience, the pub I drank in, the restaurant I went to. I knew that. But it's so much more than that. And I meet so many extraordinary people each and every day in this city through this job. And um, yeah, I've just got to know the city better, but I've still got far more to learn because there are people I haven't met. And, uh, and that's what keeps me going. Now, a recent investigation showed that you receive a, a high amount of abuse on social media. Now, we have had a number of people tell us that you've blocked them on social media just for disagreeing with, with opinions that you've put out. How do you respond to those suggestions? Well, to be honest, I don't think I get as much um, abuse as Shailish at VARA. I think there's obviously race plays an element in, into that. Shailish is uh, the MP for the south of the city, as you know. My, my, my life's too short for me to put up with um, Twitter trolls and people who want to abuse me and my family. Um, you know, at first I did begin to kind of look at these comments and, you know, I'd find myself, you know, perhaps snapping at my children or causing an argument with my wife. And, and I'm giving these individuals who would say truly hateful things power to affect me and my life. Why would I do that? You know, I've got so much more positive things I could be doing with my time instead of responding to, quite frankly, people who are either obsessive about a particular issue and will hijack any thread or any comment about a particular issue they're concerned with are members of the Labour Party or people who just want to throw abuse at me. Why on earth would I want to engage with those individuals? Now, is using language such as calling Peterborough Labour councillors, quote, useful idiots appropriate? We've got to understand the context of, of, of what I said. I don't mind a, a robust debate on Twitter. I, oh, sorry, robust debate in politics. I think that's absolutely um, fair enough. I think the context of calling them that was probably in the um, context of Brexit or something like that, where I was saying that there were... I think it's, it was specifically around the uh, discharge of sewage. You, you were complaining that um, people were using your vote against a particular amendment in Parliament as saying that you were for uh, dumping sewage into rivers. Well, I mean, I can talk specifically about that issue, but I think um, I can't quite understand why I would call him a useful idiot in that context. But the, 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 the point is, I'm quite up for um, a debate in politics and quite up for challenging their position and, 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 and them challenging my position. I think that's what makes people healthy, clear blue water, people can make decisions. I think that's absolutely healthy. But I'm certainly not going to um, put up with people, you know, telling me that my children should be ashamed of me and things like that. That's just unacceptable. Now, you also had a run-in with anti-Brexit campaigner Steve Bray, yeah. where you used a few choice words which were caught on camera. Do you regret that interaction? Well, I, I, I suppose I wish it never happened. Um, but let me just tell you what happened. I'd, um, my wife and youngest child had come to stay with me in uh, Westminster to come and see where I work. Uh, and I knew he'd be on his little island. Steve Bray is a public nuisance. I mean, anyone who thinks he's some sort of kind of saint needs to basically sit in their front room, crank up the radio to um, a certain decibels and try and working with that all day, every day, kind of playing in your background. He is a public nuisance who follows politicians, insults them, plays loud music at them, and he's generally a, a complete public nuisance. Not quite sure why he's there. But anyway, 
Uh, I saw him um, uh, on, on that day, and I took, uh, I walked a little bit further up to avoid him so I could cross the road safely with my wife and child. He hadn't clocked me. But um, my, my wife went into the pub, which was the red line opposite, to change Eric's, our baby. And while she was doing that, I, um, we had a couple, I bought a couple of drinks and sat outside thinking everything would be fine. But of course, it wasn't, and Steve Ray clocked me. And I just wanted to, um, some time with my wife and told him what I generally thought of him. But uh, I didn't quite realise I was being filmed. But never mind, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. That's, yeah. uh, the people behind me kind of looked around and were a bit shocked. And, but after he left, they offered to buy me a drink. So they, I think they um, at least supported what I was doing. Now you backed Liz Truss's campaign to become party leader from an early stage. Um, obviously she launched her leadership in Peterborough. How did her leadership implode so spectacularly? Well, I think what Liz was saying during the contest, and I think what Liz um, was saying when she was Prime Minister, was the right thing to do. We need to go for growth. We have got, had sluggish growth in this country for 25 years. And unfortunately, a lot of that is driven by low wage, low productivity, low skill jobs. What she wanted to do was to try and crank up growth, because if the economy grows, people pay more tax. We've got more money for public services. I think most people uh, would agree with that. And I think that's what she was trying to do. Unfortunately, I think um, what tended to happen is when you have a budget, you produce a big red book like this. You've seen it in the fiscal statement. It's a huge red book that shows trends over a period of time about how you're going to bring down borrowing, how you're going to public spending commitments, etc., etc. Uh, what happened was that uh, she didn't do that. But the general message about growth is, I think, a very good one. And I think Rishi Sunak, the new Prime Minister, understands that. I think that's what the autumn statement was all about. We have to get through this difficult time, this globally difficult time that we're, that we're facing, and then go for growth, because growth is good. Now, once she had resigned, you came out full force behind Boris Johnson to return as Prime Minister, um, doing a number of TV and radio slots. It must have been a bit of a kick in the teeth when he decided not to, to stand. Oh, no, 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 I didn't see it like that at all. Boris Johnson is a remarkable politician. I went from coming third in a by-election here in Peterborough, this very city, I didn't come, just didn't come second, didn't just lose badly, I came third. And from that, six months later, not only did we win here in Peterborough, but we also won that record majority. And the difference was Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. He's got an ability to connect with people in a way that I've never seen. I've been with him in this city three or four, two or three times, and I've seen him wander around, be mobbed, people want selfies with him, want to take pictures with him, and they want to talk to him. And he's got this ability to reach parts of the electorate that no other politician can reach. And that's that sense of, I suppose, loyalty to him for winning, helping me win this seat. And I, I, that's why I wanted him to return as Prime Minister. I think uh, he could have done an excellent job. But look, that didn't happen. Rishi Sunak is Prime Minister. We need to now come together. We need to show on the three big challenges I think this country faces that we've got the right ideas. And I'm absolutely convinced we can do that. For me, the three big challenges are growing our economy. We've just talked about that, creating jobs, and of course, creating that tax revenue, which we can then spend on public services. Uh, the second challenge is our NHS. We've got to make sure that post-COVID, the NHS is fit for purpose, and people are able to see a GP, are able to get the uh, hips and knee surgery and all the other appointments that they need. Uh, and I think the third challenge is making sure that we have secure borders, because we can't have a situation where we have tens of thousands of undocumented people landing on our beaches, um, you know, kind of year on year. That's just unsustainable for any country in the world to be able to manage. Now, your Labour opponent for the next election, Andrew Pakes, is not from the city, was, as we said earlier, you, you grew up in Whittlesea. 
does that make any difference these days? Well, I, I, I don't want to, I want to make the contest because I've had a, um, an interesting experience with some Labour activists in the past. I don't want that to sustain my relationship with Andrew. I'm sure Andrew's a, a perfectly decent, capable um, man. Um, yes, he's from Milton Keynes. Um, I hope he soon moves here um, and then we can have a clean contest. Uh, are you able to commit to a positive campaign for the next election? I will certainly be pointing out all the positive things that I'm doing in Peterborough. Uh, and um, I think uh, the less said about my opponents, the better. What um, political ambitions do you have at this point? Obviously, you've said, you know, you, you are loving the fact that you're, you're serving the city that you've grown up in. Do you have ambitions to, to go higher than, than, I mean, you're obviously a, a parliamentary private secretary at the moment in the... Department for Culture, Media and Sport and have been under, I think it's the last three ministers. Do you see yourself or would you like to see yourself moving up as, as time goes on? But as I said at the start of this podcast, look, this is the best job I'm ever going to have. And, and sometimes, you know, it's still a bit of a, a strange experience wandering into Parliament. I still fully expect someone to put their hand on my shoulder and guide me towards the exit. Um, you know, I can't quite believe sometimes that I'm there. But look, the thing... I always thought I would enjoy, the, obviously, the Westminster side enormously of, of politics. But the thing um, I have enjoyed the most, absolutely without question, is being the MP for Peterborough and doing the work that I do in the constituency. I just absolutely love meeting new people. I love um, going to different events. I love learning more about the city that I grew up in. It's, look, uh, this for me is um, what I wanted to do. Someone, someone, said, uh, when, someone said to me the other day, a Westminster colleague of mine, when I was thinking, when, in a particular meeting, I was thinking, oh my goodness, we, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And he said, look, Paul, if you, um, but before the last election, if you were told that you could be an MP for four or five years for your home city, would you have taken it? I said, absolutely. He said, well, there you go. That's the context in which, which we should be thinking about this. This, uh, by absolutely, is my number one priority, focusing on Peterborough. Now, if someone wants to come to me and said, Paul, do you want to be Chancellor of the Exchequer? And I probably, um, well, I don't think I'd be very good at that. But if someone suggested I wanted to be health secretary, for example, um, I think uh, I, would, I would certainly say yes. Of course, you've got to just roll the dice and, and take what opportunities come to you. But I'm a very, how do I say this without sounding foolish? I'm, I'm a very content and very comfortable uh, in my own skin. And I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing. And if it doesn't go any further than this, it's been an absolute honour. Now, before you were elected, you said that you wanted pupils in Peterborough to believe they can achieve anything they want to. 68% of Liz Truss's cabinet were privately educated, while the current cabinet still stands at just over 60%. Yeah. What does that say to pupils across the city that don't attend the Peterborough school? Well, it's, uh, it, it's, it's um, the, the fact that so many people uh, who go to state school are not experiencing and have opportunity to succeed in the way I feel they should do is an enormous waste of talent. It's not that it's unfair on the individuals themselves, of course it is, but it's also hugely unfair on the country because we need everyone to reach their potential. I think that away from race, uh, sexuality or any other, um, just any, any other sort of issue, I think class is the biggest dividing line in our country. And it's the one that um, concerns me uh, the most. Any other protective characteristic, I completely understand why there are issues there, but class, I think, is the big dividing line. I don't see why it's remarkable that someone who went to a state school near Peterborough, like me, is the MP for Peterborough. That should be the norm throughout the entire country. 
and it concerns me greatly. Polit we've got the same challenge, not only in politics, and the Labour Party's got the same challenge as well. It's not just about the Conservative Party. The Labour Party's got the same challenge around class as well. Um, well, with it, ironically, they never used to have. You know, it used to be lots of working people used to be Labour MPs, but they've got huge um, issues now with that. But for me, I think what's really important is what a fundamental of being conservative. You see, it doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from, what race, sexuality, um, or indeed class you have, you should be able to succeed and do as, as much as you can. That's what drives me and makes me a conservative. But we've got to put that into practice. And that's why young people at schools in this city need to be able to reach for the stars, understand their dreams. And it's the thing that I always go to and say, go on and be brilliant to young people. And a lot of the time, it's about confidence. And it's about giving them the confidence that they can go on to achieve. And if I can just make a few people a little bit more confident in themselves by going around schools, talking in the city, then it's been a job worth doing. Are politicians in general doing enough in that regard? No. What, what else could they do? Well, I think far too long people, um, I think a few things, I think politics is a political system in general, then there are individual um, politicians. I think politics in general, we need to get back to the point that you're not a failure if you don't go to university. Um, you're not, uh, but I think we can invest in technical skills and I think we're doing that here in Peterborough with our new university. We need to make it fashionable that people can go and do an apprentices, go to a manufacturing engineering university, get those skills and go on and succeed. And do you know what? We need more people like that in politics to understand that. I've just been to uh, Caterpillar or Perkins today and to see that in the heart of our city with so many people excelling 250,000 engines a year um, produced there was awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring. So we just need to get that balance right. Where it's, n it's not just an academic university education that matters. People should be encouraged to go into apprenticeships and encouraged to make uh, different choices. But politics, as well as, and it's a thing for individual politicians, as well as other professions like law, like accountancy, like all these other professional, these professional careers, need to open up their doors and see the range of talent out there from people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, and we won't reach our potential as a country unless everyone in this country is able to reach their potential. Anglian Water Chief Executive Peter Simpson received a bonus this year of £300,000 despite the company having the third highest rate of pollution incidents in 2021. The former chair of the Environment Agency, Emma Howard Boyd, has called the water company's performance, quote, appalling. How has the government allowed this to happen? Well, it's not a government decision about how much people are paid. I mean, that's obviously a decision for, for Anglia Water. But do I think it's right if I was a shareholder at Anglia Water? No, I probably wouldn't think that was appropriate. But that's, we live in a free society and that's for the company and the shareholders to determine how they pay um, their staff. I'm more concerned, and we can talk about sewage discharge and everything else in a second if you, if you wish, but I'm more concerned about wastage and leakage. I'm more concerned about the fact that Borges Boulevard is constantly flooded. I'm more concerned about some of the works that need to be done um, in, in town, up, and up down Lincoln Road. I'm more concerned about the poor families of my, um, my constituents who had their homes flooded in Lee Gardens and Thorpe Lee Road. That's where our focus should be. Now, as you say, with um, the sewage issue, it does seem to be becoming a, a bigger issue. It seems to be happening more often. Is that an issue with the water companies? Is that a climate change issue? Where, where does the blame and such like well, that? Well, it's probably from little from column A, a little from column B. But look, the, the reaction to this is to pass the piece of legislation we did, which is the Environment Act, which gives water companies stricter targets to invest in um, the future to try and prevent it. The problem is, my friend, is we've got 
a Victorian sewage system, okay? Um, and when it rains and things, you know, become difficult, those, um, those discharges flow into rivers along with foul water. So rainwater and foul water working together, sorry, going together into the, um, into the river. And that happens, used to happen only a handful of times a year, but as you say, it's, ha it's happening more and more. But we've got a Victorian system and it needs fundamental change and investment from the water companies to uh, address that. That's what the Environment Act does. It can't be done overnight. If, you know, there was a vote in the House of Commons, which I'm sure we're going to come on to in a minute, where it was very convenient for the then opposition, the, the opposition of the Labour Party, to then position that Conservative MPs were all voting for foul water to go into rivers. I mean, it's complete nonsense. You can't wish away the problem by voting to say um, it's banned, because it's, it's what practice. You can vote for something, but you won't overnight change the Victorian system. The way to deal with it is, has been done through the Environment Act, is to put some stringent targets on the water companies over a period of time so they can put this investment in and, and solve this problem. Playing immature childish politics um, that happened with, um, with, with, with that vote that the Labour Party um, forced on was, um, was disingenuous at best. Now, the, the public voted for Brexit in 2016. Um, that then uh, finally came to fruition in 2020. What tangible benefits of Brexit has Peterborough seen to date? As Peterborough seen today, well, we're the masters of our own destiny. Now, we, will we all will we make um, uh, decisions, wrong decisions? Of course we will. In a democracy, some people make um, you make decisions and you hold your uh, the, the people to account. But our destiny is our own. Brexit is a real um, kind of standout for, for freedom in the sense that this country can then now go out and do whatever it wants to do. With it. That means trading with different partners. That's making decisions about how we um, fund certain industries in, in our country. If you're looking for a particular benefit for uh, Peterborough, I would say that we now have an opportunity to welcome people from across the globe rather than just um, uh, just Europe. Anyone can come to our country and um, invest in our, um, our economy and, uh, and um, be productive. We can set our own um, targets now on who we'd like to come um, in and out of this country. We, we don't have to open up our borders to the European Union. It's absolutely unfair on people from other parts of the world. Um, if they're favoured, if the Europeans are favoured over everybody else. Peterborough can really benefit from uh, leaving the European Union um, in terms of tax advantages as well. We can now, because certain rules before were preventing us from creating things such as investment zones, where there are tax advantages for companies investing here, we can do that in places like Peterborough now, and I'm convinced we will. Michael Saunders, who recently completed a six-year term on the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, uh, stated that, quote, the UK economy has been permanently damaged by Brexit and that without Brexit, we wouldn't be talking about austerity this week. Long term, it's possible that we might see the, the benefits of Brexit, but in the short term, it, it has done damage to our economy, hasn't it? I wouldn't accept that. I don't agree with Michael Saunders. And I think he probably should look to France, to Germany, to other economies who are in recession in Europe. And they're obviously members of um, the European Union, the single market, the customs union, and everything that comes with it. And, um, you know, we are the fifth biggest economy in the world. We've got a rich history. We are world leaders when it comes to science, technology, um, and healthcare innovation. We've got incredible soft power, the Premier League, the BBC. We've got one of the strongest um, military powers in the world. We are, the world speak English, we've expe um, exported parliamentary democracy across the world, we've got the Commonwealth. This country can make a fantastic go 
of, um, of Brexit. And, um, and what people say to me, I'm also the chair of the Kanzuk parliamentary group, which is, obviously includes Canada, Australia and New Zealand. You know, when Britain left the Euro European Union, they had one simple message to us, which was welcome back. You know, we can't go onto international trade negotiations. Um, we have to be represented by the European Union. Britain can now represent itself. We are masters of our own destiny and I'm sure we'll make an absolute success of it. Has it caused an employment crisis? No, because look, what the employment crisis that us again, many, many other uh, countries are facing, the employment crisis that we have is not um, an, uh, an issue of unemployment. The issue is that um, there are too many jobs. You know, we've got the economy is is able to create lots and lots of jobs for people to do. And what we really need to invest in, I've got this Peterborough for Jobs campaign, you may have seen it. I want to halve long-term youth unemployment in this city by putting these, um, these individuals who are long-term unemployed with these jobs um, and with employers. And I'm convinced we can do that. Peterborough Council has faced a financial crisis in the last few years. Uh, it's £450 million in debt and has cut all but the most essential of services. Would you agree that this is in part because between 2010 and 2020, the Conservative government has cut the central grant by 37% in real terms? Well, I think Peterborough has, uh, a very diff has had a very difficult experience in uh, receiving grants from central government. And of course, this would be uh, under any um, party because Peterborough is under any go uh, government. Peterborough is particularly unique in the sense that we have many more people living here than the official census would um, register. It has grown enormously, Peterborough, uh, in that time. And the census, of course, uh, only takes place every 10 years. So a census that's taken in, say, um, 2011 does not reflect the number of people who are living here in 2020. Uh, you know, Hampton, for example, has grown hugely. We have had um, free movement with the European Union where lots of people come to live in our city or perhaps not officially picked up by census. And so the formula by which local government is um, reimbursed by central government, that grant is done, is not really fit for purpose for Peterborough. We're almost unique in that regard because there are other places like Wisbeach and Spalding and Holbeach and other places that have similar um, aspects. But Peterborough in itself is a city. We're a, a council area. We don't have huge rural areas around the city to actually cope, uh, to, to counteract, if you like, some of the challenges that we face centrally. Probably the only other um, area most like it um, is Milton Keynes, probably. Um, but, but the grant, just the, the formula, and it has to be a formula to work out why, what, what money should be allocated around the country, because there has to be a, a uniform way of doing it. But the formula certainly doesn't work for Peterborough. Now, are we likely to see an improvement on that? With obviously the, the recent census data came out for, for last year's census, which showed that I think there'd been a 30,000 uh, rise in, in the population of Peterborough. Yeah. I think it was about 17.5%. Over 10, the, just 10 years? Yeah, one, one of the top five fastest growing cities in the country. So will we see that benefit going forward? Well, the grant will obviously be recalculated to reflect the number of people living here. And so Peterborough will get more money as a result of that. But the problem is the formula does not work for a place that is growing as, um, as significantly Peterborough. That's why I have to, as a local MP, always argue the case that Peterborough needs more. And I think I've done a good job with that. We've got 25 million from the levelling up fund. We've got 20 million towns fund, regener 23 million uh, towns fund regeneration package. We've got the station quarter coming on. We've had millions to solve issues in our city, such as rough sleeping, we've had more money for our local police. So I've done a quite a good job, I think, ensuring that we get some of those 
um, those grants, but there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more to do. But the challenge is that formula just doesn't work for Peterborough. Now, the autumn statement saw councils able to increase council tax by 5% before a referendum is required, up from the previous 3%. Council tax in Peterborough has gone up 24% over the last five years already. It's not sustainable, is it? Well, I believe in lower taxes, and um, I'm not a, obviously a, a, a councillor, or not, nor do I run the city council. They will understand the challenges that they face, and, and they will set their council tax rates accordingly. But as far as I'm concerned, I think we should spend public money wisely, and wherever we should resist um, raising tax where we don't need to. One of the casualties of that financial crisis has been St George's Hypertherapy Pool. Uh, in June of 2020, you tweeted... Peterborough City Council, Karen Oldell and I are all united in valuing the community pool which can benefit children and adults with a wide range of disabilities or long-term health conditions. The pool never reopened yeah. and in July the council confirmed that it never would. Do you feel you did enough to try and save that facility? Well, there's a long story behind that, but um, I met with Karen um, only a week, a week or two ago. I think that facility um, was much valued, much loved, and, and of course, lots of people used it. But it was tired. It was past its best. And um, while I regret hugely it's not open right now, so people can, can use it, what is going to happen is we're going, there's going to be a new pool, hopefully, planning applications in for a new pool to be built um, near the site of the Thistlemore surgery. Uh, I hope that will be built soon. Karen's in contact and the, the, the hydrotherapy pool users with Neil Moda, who's building that pool, and, and they're, they're helping to um, design what could be a state-of-the-art facility, a new facility in, in Peter. But that's what's needed, and that's what I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing come to fruition in the next 12 months. It's a shame that the pool, though, couldn't have been uh, re remained open while that facility is being built. But let's look to the future. I mean, we can look to the future, but in the meantime, it's well over two years now since it closed and, and that closure yeah. will have caused unfounded amounts of issues for the, the users of it. Having a new one in, in a year or two isn't going to return those people who have faced those health issues to their, their previous state, is it? I think it's a great shame the pool couldn't have been reopened in the, in the time while we built it. There were issues with cost and ownership and all sorts of other things. Um, and I'm sure you, you, you brought this up with the leader of the council when you spoke to him. Um, what I see as my role um, was able to bring the parties together um, around the new pool and get that, um, get that built and I hope that's built as soon as possible. ARU Peterborough has been up and running for a couple of months now. How big a difference is that going to make to the city long term? It's going to transform the city. It really does. And let me just tell you why. Peterborough's got a long tradition of, of engineering and manufacturing, uh, science, technology um, uh, based um, industries. And this university is, not, is going to be focusing entirely those in industries and together with the university and the new talent that we're going to get young people into that university to study, we're also going to have a research super hub next to it and so companies will then relocate or help design courses at the university so young people can be doing things that are going to lead to employment in the future. Those companies will come to Peterborough and, and they'll create the highly paid jobs of the future. I'm just so excited about it. Today, as I say, I went to um, Perkins Caterpillar, um, where I saw the, the enormity of the manufacturing facilities there, where they're making 250,000 engines every year. They are talking with the university about how to design courses, that they can create that sort of pool, if you like, a conveyor belt of talent which will go from 
um, the university into employment, so the engineers of the future. But the R&D that they spend, the, the amount of money they spend in R&D at that site in Peterborough, is just remarkable. It really is a jewel in our crown. And, and to see the technologies of the future, the new combustion engines of the future, which will um, be operating at 1% of uh, the um, levels of you know, particle expulsion and all the rest of it that they were even just 10 years ago, that's where we're going to achieve, achieve net zero. That's the way we're going to meet our clean air targets. And to see that happening in, in the city is incredibly future. But that's now. With that university, um, there's no reason why we can't get caterpillars um, of the future here in our city and those newly highly paid jobs of the future. It's going to transform this city. And when they're making the decisions now that are going to guarantee our future health, wealth and happiness. I just can't tell you how excited I am and how I think that's going to transform our future. The university is part of the long-term plan for the embankment, which has been in decline for years. Uh, what were your thoughts on the master plan that was released in March this year? Well, I think we need to do something with the embankment because um, I, uh, I, I agree, just um, tolerating what's happening there right now is not good enough. I think um, it's a beautiful open space. I think people um, value it. Uh, I think the, the opportunities along the river as we walk up towards the Key Theatre, I think are huge. And um, it, it, it's an asset that we just simply don't use. And so I think we need um, to think very seriously how we bring that into use um, and, and prevent, quite frankly, it being used for the wrong reasons. Because obviously you see um, you know, alcohol consumption, drug taking along there, which is obviously completely inappropriate. Do you think the plans for the embankment should include a new stadium for the posh? Well, I'm, I'm listening on that regard. Um, instinctively, I would like to see our football stadium in our city centre. I don't want it to be, to be built on the outskirts. I don't think that works for football stadiums, to be honest with you. And if um, we build a football stadium on the embankment, um, which was supported by the majority of people, I'll be all up for it. We can think about some new bars, new restaurants, you know, there. But let's just see what the plans are. Um, I'm not going to take a particular position until I understand exactly what's proposed. In Parliament, you've been highlighting the bid for funding for the station quarter redevelopment. Yeah. What difference would that make to the city? Oh, it's going to be fantastic because if we're able to regenerate, basically, um, Peterborough Station, believe it or not, is the busiest LNER operated station on the East Coast mainline. Just think about that for a second. Of all those stations upon the LNER, now Edinburgh and King's Cross are not run by LNER, but of all those kind of other stations going up and down, East Coast, Peterborough is the busiest because people change to go to a, you know, into the Midlands or into the uh, to Norwich and to the rest of East Anglia. It's a real Peterborough's a real hub, but we've got about five or six gates there at Peterborough. It's just not big enough, and sometimes it can get incredibly busy at that station. It's just not fit for purpose. You know, it's old, it's tired. It needs another um, uh, entrance station on the other side of um, uh, the rivers for the west of the city. Sorry, the railway tracks on the west of the city, um, and the other side of Crescent Bridge, and. For me, that whole area, including the, the um, Great Northern Hotel and all that kind of car park there can be regenerated. We see new retail and leisure opportunities there, new accommodation. We need a station that is not just a gateway to Peterborough, but it's a gateway to the east of England. Because Peterborough Station really is a gateway to the east of England for the people making changes. We just need a station that reflects that. Now, you, you mentioned the, the Great Northern Hotel, which is obviously within that area. It was recently announced as being the location or a location for asylum seekers while their applications are being processed. You've come out vehemently against that decision. Is it the specific hotel that's the issue, the policy of using hotels in general, 
or that they're in the country at all that you have a, a problem with? Okay, so let's just slightly un 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 unpick that. I think first and foremost, it's the wrong hotel in the wrong location uh, at the wrong time. That um, is, or certainly used to be, considered the flagship hotel for our city. It's got marble floors, ensuite um, bedrooms. It's seen better days, there's no doubt about it. But it's still used for weddings, it's still used for um, dinners, it's still used for Christmas parties, um, and uh, all sorts of things like that. It's the wrong hotel. There are so many of my constituents would only dream of having you know that sort of um, ability to live and staying somewhere like the Great Northern Hotel. It can't be used for this purpose. It's just not appropriate. And also in the wrong location as well. The city centre of the police have got concerns that the um, single men there could be at risk of criminal exploitation. Um, it's it, it really sends the wrong message by as you leave um, the as you come into Peterborough see that this grand hotel being used for that purpose is completely inappropriate. At the moment it's been stood up as an emergency accommodation because we've got somebody coming over on small boats that they end up at Manston, they're only supposed to be there for 24 hours, and they have to be moved into other hotels, and that's why the Great Northern's been chosen. I also think um, the owners of the Great Northern should be ashamed of themselves and certainly should not have offered that hotel as a place for, um, for, for uh, asylum seekers. So I'm hoping, but it's only an emergency, I'm hoping that what we can be able to do is convince Serco and others who award the contract, uh, who have been awarded the contract, sorry, by the Home Office, that the location is completely inappropriate because there's going to be, I'm sure, efforts to secure longer term accommodation for uh, the single men there. And I just don't want it to be the Great Northern Hotel because um, it's, it's wrong for Peterborough. And first and foremost, I'm the MP for Peterborough. And it's a wrong for Peterborough. Now, Go to the policy of hotel accommodation in general. I think I would much prefer um, larger um, accommodation being um, secured for uh, individuals, talking about RAF bases, army camps, things such, such as that, where they can have access in a much larger area to all the resort, all the facilities that they need. Um, you know, a lot of them will need health checks and things like that. They'll need to have their cases um, managed. It's much better to have a larger facility where those people are able to be catered for by Home Office officials who are managing their cases, case workers and, and, and things like that, so they can be monitored. I think that's, um, and people even talked about, um, you know, kind of student union accommodation and things like that. I think that'll be much more appropriate than using, you know, kind of um, scores and scores and scores, if not hundreds of hotels across, you know, the, the area and across the country for this purposes, because there's no way of then basically being able to keep a tab on these individuals and support them. They need to be in um, you know, one place, they're free to go, but they need to be in one place so they can have access to all the support services that they need, um, um, as well as having their cases processed. But, you know, generally in terms of the policy, no country on earth would be able to tolerate for any length of time thousands and thousands of undocumented people landing on their shores on small boats week in, week out. That is unsustainable for any country in the world, and it's certainly unsustainable for this country. And so we need to reduce the um, we need to do a number of things. I think first and foremost, the deal with France that we've just signed. I think that's part of the solution. We've been here before with having a deal with France. We can't rely on it, but I think it's part of the solution. We, need, we now have British security and border guards and uh, British expertise on the beaches in France now, working with uh, the gendarmes. So that's part of the solution, but it's not the solution. But what we have to do is reduce... Um, the pool. I've got lots of Albanian friends in the city who um, uh, support me and I've supported them and helped them with various different things. So it's not specific about a country, but Albania is a safe country. 
It is not a country where there is war, where there's refuge. If people from Albania want to come to Peterborough, no problem with that. But they need to come by um, uh, legal means. And as far as I'm concerned, I think Albania should be declared a safe country. And if you've arrived illegally from Albania, I think there's an opportunity then to say, well, then that, that's that case done. So we need to reduce the pull factor. We need to ensure that they're in appropriate accommodation. But first and foremost, my job is for Peterborough. And the Great Northern Hotel is not the right location. What do you say to those who say that the locations that have been selected for this programme shouldn't be disclosed as it increases the risks of attack on what are potentially already very vulnerable people? Um, well, I think they're wrong because I think it would be an insult to the people of Peterborough for, for us to try and pretend that the Great Northern Hotel in some way wasn't happening. I did see you know, the Labour parties suggest that I shouldn't be naming the Great Northern Hotel. I mean, you know, it, people of this city aren't stupid. They're going to be able to see it the second they walk out. And for the, for the Labour Party to turn around and say we shouldn't be naming the hotel, I just think boggles the mind. Turnout in general elections in Peterborough has dropped from over 80% in the 1970s to mid-60s more recently. Local elections are struggling to see turnout above 30%. Why do you think that people are less engaged with the political process than previously? Well, I think it's our fault. I think it's all politicians' fault. I'm not, I don't sit there and think, you know, it's the public's fault they're not voting, which I've heard some people say. I think that's just stupid. It's our fault. We've got to engage and motivate people and make them think that their vote makes a difference. I thought the uh, last election, I think, turnout was a bit higher because I think it was uh, obviously seen to be a crucial election when it comes to Brexit. Um, and, uh, and, and the future direction of this country, we had a leader in Jeremy Corbyn who um, I think most people would, well, I think utterly inappropriate for him to be Prime Minister. Um, his vision was wrong and for Sir Keir Starmer to sit there next to him for, for a number of years and, and back him, I think, shows you what we need to say about his judgement. But look, it's our um, fault. We need to go out there and convince people that politics matters, like I said at the start of the, the podca podcast, that it can change lives. Um, I've got a plan for Peter. Okay, and I keep coming back to, to my plan, which is more police officers, which means cracking down on fly-tipping and dumping, which means, you know, focusing on um, things such as the university and building, you know, kind of levelling up and, um, and getting resources here. I always just come back to my plan and that's what I'll be doing. I'll be going and showing people my plan and how I've achieved against those goals. If they think I've done a good job, they'll re-elect me. If they think I've done a poor job, they won't. Um, and it's my job to go out there and, and, and do that. But I think all politicians need to try and inspire people, especially young people, get involved in the process and think politics is for them. Would you advocate uh, an Australian-style compulsory voting system? No, I don't. I don't think I can't. I don't think you can force people to be free, can you? You know, people have got free will. They should be able to do what they want to do. In a recent council report entitled "The Sustainable Future City Council Strategy," it stated, "Quote: Our city residents at the bottom of too many league tables. People in the city die earlier, have poorer health, and lower levels of education and skills than in most other cities." Too many are insufficiently skilled, too many are in low paid work, and too many struggle to find suitable accommodation to live in, end quote. It's a damning indictment of 12 years of Conservative government and 20 years of a Conservative-led council, isn't it? I think it's a damning um, indictment on what, um, on a low way, on, on, on generally for the country, which is uh, a reliance on low productivity, low-skilled, low-wage jobs. We need to turn that around. That's exactly what Boris Johnson was pledging to do with um, levelling up. That's what that university, you know, it will, it will deliver. 
And, uh, and I think uh, with everything, uh, if we get everything right, and you, could, you saw my excitement earlier when we talked about the university, we can create a high skill, high productivity, high wage um, economy, and we can turn things around. Recent data showed that the number of people in Peterborough cycling once or more a week has dropped from one in 10 in 2017 to one in 17 in 2021. Should the city be focusing on reducing its reliance on the car? Well, I certainly think um, we need to do everything we can to encourage people to be more active and uh, cycling is obviously one of those things. But um, I don't necessarily think that building a cycle lane, for example, over the Crescent Bridge was the right thing to do because I think we'd have completely congested the city. I'm quite happy to go to a referendum of the city on whether we should have done that or not, and I know I would win. But, um, but certainly we need to think about other things we can do to encourage people to, to cycle more. I went out with um, some cycling groups myself and cycled uh, around the city. I understand what a challenge it is and I'll do everything I can to support them to try and make it safer. A recent investigation showed that there's not a single dentist within Peterborough that's taking on NHS patients. Mm. What do you say to these people who are faced with the choice of travelling over 50 miles to find an NHS dentist, spending thousands on private treatment or pulling out their own teeth? Yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. I, com I, I completely um, get that. Um, all I'll say is I think the dental contract, um, which was negotiated some time ago, um, is not fit for purpose, it needs amending. And um, what we need to do is to encourage more people to get into the NHS system rather than dentists I'm talking about, instead of just opting for private work. It's because the contract doesn't work. Um, we need to do that. What we also need to do is to make places like Peterborough much more attractive for people to come here. Um, I've raised these issues in Parliament. I'll continue to do so. Now, we'd like to finish the podcast with some quick-fire questions. Would you ever go into the jungle on I'm a Celebrity? No, I just, um, I don't think uh, they'd want me with them, the, uh, the other jungle mates, and I've got a job to do here. Have you been voting for Matt Hancock to face any trials? I have down the app, um, and I have voted for Matt Hancock, but I've also voted for one or two others as well. Uh, what's your prediction for the World Cup? Whether that's England or who's going to win? Well, I think um, I think we'll probably might see a, a South American winner this year. Um, I quite fancy Argentina. I think it'd be look. Obviously, I want England to win. So, other than England, um, I'd quite like to see Messi win a World Cup. He's won the Copa America um, only was it last year or the year before. Um, you know, so he's got that to his um, his credit. But Argentina, um, I think, are a strong side. But look, you know, I think England can do it. Um, I think we've got maybe an issue in our defence, um, central defence. We've got to think about that. But I think England can do it, and uh, in, Gat we, in Southgate we trust. First past the post or proportional representation? First past the post. People want to know who their MP is, and they want to basically vote for the indiv individual rather than a party list. You know, I could end up getting less votes than um, the per you know, ridiculous PR system. It could be the person who gets uh, who, the person who gets the most votes doesn't win. I mean, how is that democracy? Um, people want to vote for an individual, they want to vote for a person, and that's why first past the post matters. And we had a referendum on that, remember, and it was comprehensively defeated. What's been your biggest success as an MP to date? Oh, undoubtedly getting that new financial support for levelling up for Peterborough. If it wasn't for the, the Conservatives winning the last election, if it wasn't for me um, becoming the local MP, I don't think our university would be completed in the way that, that it was. We wouldn't have the money for Towers Fund and City Centre regeneration. They weren't easy battles to win down at Westminster, but you know, I, I, at least I can turn around and say that I achieved that. And your biggest regret? I think sometimes, um, although I'm a, a comfortable uh, person and quite secure in my own skin, I, sometimes I do um, react to Labour councillors. Perhaps I should just ignore when they do try and troll me. I've reacted and I should just have ignored them. 
Finally, what is the one place or business that you would recommend the people of Peterborough should visit? Oh, my God, Perkins or Caterpillar. Um, I went there today. Now, look, obviously I know a lot about Caterpillar and Perkins, but I never had a look around the, the factory in the way I've done today. And it literally amazed me to see you know, the scale of what goes on there. 250,000 engines every year being produced there. R&D, you know, the amount of money they put into R&D. Um, is just extraordinary and um, if I just think if obviously it employs 4,000 people of which you know a good proportion of them are going to be local people so they and their families will know um, of the scale of, of, of Caterpillar but um, you know and Perkins and those who don't should definitely if they can possibly ever arrange a visit go there and see how enormous this is. Paul Bristow thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Paul for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at paulbristow79. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, so that you can get each episode as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at politicspboro. Please let us know what you thought of the episode. If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show, or any questions you'd like us to put to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough@hotmail.com. This episode of The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted, recorded and edited by me. We'll see you next time. Hold up. 